welcome to the Awakening Church podcast. We exist to awaken this generation to new life in Christ. Thanks for tuning in. To find out more, go to awakeningchurch.com. But A.W. Tozer in his book, Knowledge of the Holy, says this. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Think about it. What he's saying, what he's saying is the most important thing about you is not your education or degrees that you have. The most important thing about you is not your net worth or your upward mobility. The most important thing about you is not your Instagram game, you know, or your influencer status. The most important thing is what comes to mind When you think about God, what is that mental picture, that snapshot, that image? And he goes on to clarify why. He says this, we tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. That whatever that picture is, we become and move towards that image and idea. And so... What comes to your mind when you think about God? What is the picture? I think if I could and we could just pass a mic around and just ask you that question, we may have a different answer for as many people in this room. But let me just give a couple snapshots that I think comes to mind for many of us when we think about God. For some, the image of God that comes to mind, and you may not put in this words, but, but, but is a kindly grandpa. Like, oh, grandpa, I love him. He's caring, sweet. He's not as agile, as strong as he used to be. He doesn't move as good. He's been around forever. He's kind of out of touch. He doesn't know how to work the DVR. You go to him for comfort, but you don't go to him for protection or provision. He's, as we say, the old man upstairs. He's the um, big guy in the sky. You know he's always looking out for you, but his eyesight just isn't as good as it used to be. For some, that picture is like comforting, and yet you don't feel that he's strong enough to handle the deep concerns and needs of your day. For others, the picture that comes to mind isn't kindly grandpa, but it is cosmic cop. And I just got to give this preface because one of my best friends is a police officer, a detective, and um, I'm sorry. (laughs) Because this is kind of how we think about it as cosmic cop, and this is not how police officers are, at least not how my buddy is. But we think about it this way in regards to God, that God's always watching you. He's like waiting for you to screw up. He's got a speed trap. He's got you, you know, the minute you run that red light, gotcha, figured it out. He's the cosmic scorekeeper. Tallying. Oh, you did that wrong, did you? Oh, you did that right? Oh, that goes over here. And he's just keeping track. With the cosmic cop, there's no relationship. There's just rules to obey, isn't there? And we live in that. We have to keep all the rules. 
And so his arms are never open wide. They're generally, if you could have pictured God, they would be crossed like this. And for some, you take that a step further that your view of God is maybe he's an angry God out to get you. And so your picture of God as the cosmic cop is either you tend to go, I'm going to be a rule follower. I'm going to try to do everything perfect. I'm afraid that God will be down on me. Or you swing the other way and you just go, who cares? Why even try anymore? For some, what comes to your mind is that God is this impersonal force, if there is a God, right? If there is a God, I'm not even so sure about that right there, Ryan. Thank you very much. But if there is a God, uh, you know what? He's not involved, just look at the world around us. Look at, look at what's going on. Clearly God couldn't be involved. He's distant. He's uncaring. He might have started all of this. But he certainly has left me to figure out how to do it from now on. Like I'm just on my own. Lost. For others, you wouldn't go kindly grandpa, cosmic cop, or impersonal force. You would say, and you may not use this word. I don't think we'd ever use this word. But we, would, we definitely behave this way. That God is this reluctant genie. I can't help but bring up the images of the new Aladdin film the minute I just said genie, right? I'm like thinking about that. Um, and for those who are a little bit older, we actually saw the cartoon. Anybody see the cartoon? Yeah. I was just checking the front row here. I just just like the only Aladdin. I'm done with the Aladdin. That's it. That's. But here's how we think about God, or at least the way we behave. Does we want a God who's there to grant our wishes and desires, who meets our needs, who who exists to make our lives better, don't we? In fact, we think about it this way, that there, perhaps there are some magical words or things that I say or don't do or do that will somehow unlock the secret to getting from God. But like a genie, there's this underlying thought that we think his answers to prayer always come with some sort of catch. Like there's always some strings attached and so, for you, this morning, what comes to mind when you think about God? What is that picture? Jesus wanted one primary picture to come to mind when we think about God. In fact, this picture, he refers to 189 times in the Gospels. The picture that Jesus wants to paint for you that to come to mind when you think about God is that God is your heavenly Father. That is the picture he wants you to get. In fact, a little bit earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, we talked about this. When Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, he said what? Our, help me out, Father. Okay, we're going to work a little bit harder on that. Let's try it one more time. Our Father in heaven. How would be your name? The Jewish people are a people of rich tradition in prayer. 
They are known as a people of prayer and have lots of liturgy and um, writings that's beautiful and wonderful and deep and significant. And uh, one New Testament scholar, Joachim uh, Jeremiah, writes this about the Jewish prayer literature. He says, in no place in this immense literature is this invocation of God as Abba, Father, Papa, to be found. Abba was an everyday word, a homely family word. Now, think about this. No Jew would have dared to address God in this manner, period. Jesus did it always. And he authorizes his disciples to repeat the word Abba after him. The picture Jesus wants you to get isn't just like Father. It's Abba. Uh, when I was 16 years old, I had the privilege of going with my family to Israel. Uh, and we did a tour of the Holy Land. It was amazing. A complete waste of time on a 16-year-old. But it was amazing. And as I was there, we were in a hotel and just hanging out by the pool one afternoon. And I see this little boy, maybe four or five years old. And the father's by the poolside, reclining, has his book out. And the little boy comes up and tugs on the shorts of his daddy. And he says, Abba, Abba, Abba. And I didn't understand the rest of what he said after that. Uh, but... Clearly, he was asking his daddy to play. That is the picture that Jesus wants to paint for you when you think about God. Not this formal father, this, this, this familiar, approachable Abba. I'm just going to, I can come and I can tug on your shorts. I, I'm going to ask you to pay attention. I'm not afraid of what you're going to say. I'm coming to you. I'm going to ask you to, I just want to be with you, Abba. And I want you to notice and listen to the words of Jesus in the context of family right here, in the context of Father, because it will open up a whole new reality for you in your relationship with God. Jesus says it this way in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. If you got your Bibles, you can turn there. He says, ask, and it will be given to you. You, you know, kids don't have a problem asking. I, I know there's many in this room that, that don't have kids, but I, I just want to let you know, kids ask a lot, like all the time. Um, I was in the grocery store with my boys the other day, and it's insane the amount of questions one kid will ask in a 15-minute period time. Hey, Dad, what are we doing? Okay, hey, Dad, what about this? Hey, Dad, can I get this? What about the Twix? What about that? Hey, and then all of a sudden they disappear for a little bit. I'm like, thank God. Okay, great. And then they come with a pile of things in their arms. Hey, Dad, can we have this? And then as we're going on the way out, they're like, hey, Dad, what about this? What about that? What about this? They just ask question after question after question. And here's what I love when you break this down. This word ask, and he's going to go on to say seek and knock. If you circle it in your notes and just right next to it, we're going to talk about this a little bit more uh, later. It is a present imperative, meaning this means to ask and to keep on asking. God is saying to you, his heavenly kids, ask. I want it. I want it. Bring it. You don't bother me. Bring it. Ask and keep on asking. I'm not annoyed by you. 
and it will be given to you. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. Now notice this. For everyone asks, receive. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. One theologian said it this way. That is the picture of a mother and a child. And if the child knows that the mother is in eyesight, he'll just ask his mom for something. And he knows if the mom's not, you know, around, doesn't see it, the child will just seek out his mom. And then he says, you know, if the, if the child knows that the mother's behind closed door, he'll come and knock for his mom. And clearly this theologian was not a mom because there's no child that knocks at the door. Like, like, if you ever talk to my wife, she's just going like, can I just get some privacy? I'm using the bathroom, and the kids just barge right in, you know? And it's, why? Because what they know, what they understand, they have full and incomplete access. They're like, seriously, kid, I'm using the bathroom. But mom, I'm hungry. But mom, I, what, what about this? See, there's no shame. There's no pretense. There's, there's no, like... Oh, I wonder if, and I wonder what they'll think of me. It's like, no, it's mom. And I'm just going to go right in. And Jesus says, no, 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 ask. Would you ask? N.T. Wright says this about this text. He says, for most of us, the problem is not that we are eager to ask for the wrong things. The problem is that we're not eager enough to ask for the right things. I just wonder what would happen to your prayer life, and to your relationship with Jesus, if your picture of God was that he is a good and loving father, eager to hear your voice, inviting you in, saying, ask, ask, ask. I want you to ask. I'm eager to respond. Seek me. You'll find me. I'm not hiding from you. Knock. Come on. Come approach me. And the problem is that's not how we think about God, is it? This is why Jesus gives us a word picture for us to get it. A a parable, a a bite-sized parable, if you will, that packs a punch. He goes on to say, Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Implied in the construction of these questions is a no. No one would. If you have a kid and they're asking for something they need, would you give them something that is hurtful? Or useless? No. Then he goes on. He says, or if he asked for a fish, would you give him a snake? Would would you give your kids something that could cause them harm when they're just asking for something that would sustain their life? Obviously not. Then he makes this comparison. If you then, though you are evil. Oh, we don't like that word. What do you mean I'm evil? Well, let's just talk about it this way. Maybe we could say it this way. If you then, though you are selfish, because you're selfish, some of you singles are going like, I'm really not that selfish. Just wait, get married. (laughs) When you get married, you realize one of the big ahas, or at least it should be, just how selfish you are. And then once you have kids you realize another layer of selfishness. If you then, though you're selfish, if you then, though you're broken, 
If you then, though you have an anger issue, my brother says it this way. He's like, I, I know that my um, kids are going to need counseling because of my parenting. We all need counseling because of our parents' parenting, no matter how good a parent they were. He's like, I know my kids are going to need counseling because of my parenting. I just want to be their friend when they're going through that counseling. I may even pay for it for them, you know. If you then, though your kids are going to need counseling because you're parenting, know how to give good gifts to your children. We know instinctively how to give what's good to our kids. And then he makes this contraction. It's, it's called an a fortiori argument. It's from lesser to greater. If you know how to give good gifts to your children, now notice this, don't miss this. How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Like, I don't know what your picture is of God and I don't know what your picture is of dad. But we can all picture a parent who longs to give good gifts to their kids. And God says, you have a heavenly father who is the God of the how much more. Like you take that picture and, and multiply it by infinity. And there you go. You got God. D.A. Carson, New Testament scholar, says it this way. What is fundamentally at stake is man's picture of God. God must not be thought of as a reluctant stranger who could be cajoled or bullied into bestowing his gifts, as a malicious tyrant who takes vicious glee in the tricks he plays, or even as an indulgent grandfather who provides everything requested of him. He is the heavenly Father, the God of the kingdom, who graciously and willingly bestows the good gifts of the kingdom in answer prayer. Now, you might be wondering, I thought this series was called Anxious. Where's the anxious part? For many in this room, the concept of God as Father actually produces deep anxiety in you, doesn't it? I was talking to someone a number of years ago, and just an honest conversation. He said, you know, Ryan, when you talk about God as Father, um, like, I just can't listen. You see, my dad, my dad was, was a, an abusive addict. And I got scars and wounds that are so deep and so painful that, like, the concept of God as Father, it feels so violating just can't do it. And for many in this room, you're, when I talk about Father, you have a negative, negative picture filled with hurt and wounds. And the truth is, every single one of us carries some level of father wounds, regardless of how good or bad our dads were. And these father wounds actually distort our image of God. And so we actually have to ask this question, what kind of heavenly father do we have? Like, is he a father like our earthly dads 
because that's going to create and produce great anxiety. What kind of heavenly father do you have? In fact, this text unlocks something that is so incredible about the kind of heavenly father you have. The first thing we see is he is not an absent father. You do not have an absent heavenly father. You might have had a dad who was out of the picture for whatever reason. Maybe it was because of death, divorce. Maybe you had a passive dad. Maybe you had a neglectful dad. He just was watching TV all the time. He was an addict. Maybe he was emotionally distant, and so you didn't feel loved or secured. He never said, I love you. He never put his arm around you. Maybe he was actively hurtful. He was abusive emotionally and physically. And you carry such deep wounds. It produces these feelings of unworthiness, doesn't it? That you're unimportant. That you're unlovable. Your heavenly Father is not an absentee father. And he says, ask, seek, knock. I'm here. You can ask because I'm here. You can ask because I'm present. The theological word is, is omnipresent, omniscient. Uh, he's here. He is present. He's always present. He will be with you always. Gone ask. I'm right here. I won't ever mail it in with you. I'll, I won't just buy you good gifts but not give you my attention. I'm here. You do not have an absentee Heavenly Father, and He is not a reluctant Heavenly Father. For some, you had a dad who, who was so reluctant. He withheld his love from you. You had to perform, and you had to achieve to be approved and feel valued. He felt like he never measured up. His love always came with strings attached. You didn't hear the encouragement and the empowering, Dad, like, you can do it. I'm so for you. I'm behind you. You heard criticism. You heard comparing. It produced such deep insecurity. It, it produced this looking for anyone and anyone who, who would say you're valuable. See, we long to have the blessing of our fathers. We long for the approval. It doesn't matter how old you get. You keep and continue to long for that. And you have a heavenly father who is not a reluctant father. He says, everyone who asks, I am not reluctant, but I am engaged with you. Like, you don't have to perform for me. You don't have to work to be approved. You know, one of the most beautiful pictures in the New Testament, is Jesus right before ministry. He started his earthly ministry. He, he shows up onto the scene, and John the Baptist is baptizing, and he says, look, there's one greater than I. And John baptizes Jesus, and Jesus comes up out of the water. And this is amazing. The dove descends on him, and a voice from heaven says, 
This is my son in whom I am well pleased. And I love him. You know what Jesus had accomplished at that point? 30 years of nothing. No miracles that we know of. Didn't walk on water. He hadn't accomplished what he came to do. He hadn't died on the cross. He hadn't rose from the grave. He's just starting out and Jesus and God says, you're approved, you're valued, you're loved. Man, I'm so proud of you. You're like, what did I do? Nothing, you're my kid. That's all you needed. That's just who you are. He's not an absent father. He's not a reluctant father. And by the way, he's not a bothered father. Some of you had a dad that just like, your presence, you felt like just annoyed him. He was always distracted. He was always busy. There was always something more important in front of him, wasn't it? There was work to be done. He was rushing off here and rushing off there. When you would come, it just felt like you're a nuisance around him. And you're just kind of like going, like, I don't want to be a bother. I so want your blessing, but I don't want to be a bother. Maybe he even went so far as saying, hey, man, that's annoying. Or stop being so annoying. Gosh, you're, you just screw things up. And you felt like his life was so much better when you weren't around and you just messed it up. What it produces is that you feel stupid. You feel incompetent. You have this longing to be good enough. Your heavenly father is not bothered by you. Your heavenly father is not annoyed by you. Remember that present imperative, ask. And keep on asking. Like, like when you come to God, he's not like, oh, you again. Oh, that same prayer request? Oh, that same sin? Wow, I've heard that how many times? You're such a screw-up. He's going to ask. Ask. Keep on asking. Keep on bringing it. Don't stop. See, keep on seeking. I will show you myself. I'm not bothered by you. In fact, I love to hear your voice. Oh, man. I was just talking to um, some friends after the last service, and they were talking about their kids, and the hardest thing for them, with the, and they have grown kids, was they were talking about is when their kids hid from them. When they would withhold themselves. See, we're afraid of what people might think and what God might think. And God's just going, I want you. I'm wild about you. I love you. Don't hide from me. Ask. Keep on asking. You're never going to bother me ever. He's not an absent father, reluctant father, bothered father. And he's not a mood swing dad. Maybe you had a mood swing dad. 
Maybe you had a dad that you never knew if he was in a good mood or a bad mood. You weren't really sure, so when you showed up into the room, you took the temperature, right? You're like, okay, I'm going to test the waters because if he's in a bad mood, I'm retreating to the back room. I'm just going to hide out. I don't want to be a bat around him. Okay, how can I appease him? How can I make sure things are good? And so you're a people pleaser and you're always trying to fix and solve things because you're just walking on eggshells around your dad. You know, James, the brother of Jesus, when he was reflecting on this fatherhood of God, he said it this way. Do not be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Now think about that. As he's going to talk about our understanding of fatherhood, he says there's a, there's a tendency for us to not get this and miss this. He says, every good and perfect gift comes down from your heavenly Father. Every good and perfect gift comes from your Father of heavenly lights. And then it says this, who does not change like shifting shadows. Like God doesn't go through good days and bad days. He doesn't have mood swings. He doesn't shift and change. The theological word is he's immutable. He's unchanging. Like he's so consistent. And so his love for you is never varied in any way. It is this constant, unrelenting, uncomparable love, unconditional love for you, just focused on you. And he doesn't just go like, well, today was a good day. Today was a bad day. He doesn't change. So what kind of heavenly father do you have? He is a good and perfect father. I like how Louis Giglio says it in his book, Not Forsaken. He says, God is not um, a reflection of our earthly dads. He is the perfection of our earthly dads. Uh, do this for me with, for a little bit, would you? Would you just imagine the best dad ever? For some, you had a great dad and you don't have to do much imagining. That's awesome. Praise God. I have a great dad too. For others, you need to do a little bit of work. But, but just imagine the best dad you could ever imagine. The dad who's like behind you. The dad who's present. The dad who like his presence empowers you and encourages you. Like when he's around you, you feel stronger and excited. Like, like you never question your love. You always know he's secure. He, he's strong and able. I love that picture, by the way, like when we're kids. It's like our dads are like the strongest person on the planet. You know what I mean? Like as a kid, like he's, he's like, he can do anything. He can lift anything. My dad can beat up your dad. You know that whole deal? And he's like, like no, no, no. You have a heavenly father who can literally be, oh, no, not beat up. Okay, that's a bad picture. He is the strongest dad, supportive, attentive, caring, good, loving, sets boundaries for your safety and security and your good. And then Jesus says this, that image, that picture, you got it? How much more is your heavenly father? See, even your image of the best dad on the planet doesn't compare with your heavenly father. 
because he is the perfection of that image. How much more does your heavenly Father long to give you good gifts? How much more is he a good and loving Father? A.W. Tozer said, What comes to mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. Jesus wants that picture to be your good, perfect, heavenly C.S. Lewis actually disagrees with A.W. Tozer um, here. Uh-oh. <laughs> we got these titans of the faith. C.S. Lewis over here, for those who don't know, Narnia wrote an incredible book you should read, Mere Christianity. A.W. Tozer, incredible pastor, theologian. Both have shaped uh, our faith and our understanding of God profoundly. But, but C.S. Lewis actually disagrees with A.W. Tozer. He says this. I read in a periodical the other day that the fundamental thing is how we think of God. By God himself, it is not. Uh-oh. <laughs> now notice, how God thinks of us is not only more important, but infinitely more important. Indeed, how we think of him is of no importance except insofar as it relates to how he thinks of us. stuck in this theological dilemma and I just say yes and amen to both. What you think of God is so important and what God thinks of you man will shape you deeply. Uh, John the Apostle reflecting on God's love and how much more of God says this. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. Like, what does your heavenly Father think of you? And honestly, that question might be the question that fills you with anxiety. You're like, honestly... Like that picture of God as Heavenly Father, Ryan, I love, like, yes, and amen to that. I want that. I need that. But I'm so afraid of what God actually thinks of me. Because I'm afraid that when he thinks of me, he thinks I'm a screw-up. That he thinks I'm a lost cause. He thinks that I'm a waste of time. Like, like I'm, just, I'm just a loser. And John, John's saying... Like, what does your heavenly father think of you? He says, I just want you to see. Would you just see this? Would you see this? Would you picture this? With what great love the father has, now say this with me now this time, has lavished. Say it again. Lavished. One more time. Lavished on us. Huh. I love my mom. Um, she's amazing. And... She, growing up, makes this incredible chocolate pudding. This chocolate pudding, it's awesome. As, as kids, we love it. Um, I don't know what she puts in it. Honey, I know that. Maybe crack, I don't know. I'm sorry, Mom. No, you, she doesn't. But it's delicious, okay? Uh, my mom always wants to be fair. And so the way she is fair is she just makes one portion of this pudding, 
and then she takes a measuring cup and measures out precisely because there's three of us boys and we have a little sister and like you got you got to be fair with all the kids and she measures it out precisely and everyone knows no matter what size jar or cup or bowl that we have that we all have the exact precise amount of chocolate pudding okay the other uh, holiday, we're all hanging out. My mom make the, makes the chocolate pudding. We're so excited. But the problem is, my mom only makes one batch of chocolate pudding. God, like, man, we love this stuff. We want chocolate pudding. In fact, if it's a cost thing, we'll all pay for the ingredients for the chocolate pudding. Mom, can you just make a double portion, right? But she makes still, to this day, one batch of chocolate pudding and literally measures it out. Now it's for the grandkids, you know, and measures it out. And, like, here's how we think about God's love, that it's like this little doled out, measured out, here you go. You just get that little bit. Here you go. Here, doled out, little, right here. Okay, just measured out, and it's just enough, or it's just not probably not quite enough, and you don't want to, like, use it up, and it's like, okay, i got to enjoy it. It's really nice, but it's just measured out. God's love for you comes unmeasured. His love is lavish. He's just like, man, I got a, I got a whole bat of chocolate pudding. How much do you need? I'm just going to be like, uh, this is like soft serve ice cream. You just pull down on it and just put your mouth under it. Hello. He's like, I'm lavishing. I'm lavishing. I'm lavishing on you. What does God think of you, friends? When you come to his mind, by the way, and you're on his mind all the time. He smiles. Like he loves you. Like when you come to mind, he says, wow, you are the most valuable person. Like, no, I'm not valuable. Yes, you are. You know how valuable you are? I sent my son to die for you. That's how valuable you are. You are so worthy. I'm not worthy. I was, no one ever told me I'm worthy. No, no, you are worthy. Like you're, you're so worthy that, that I long to be with you. I chose you. Think about that. You're chosen by God. For some, you've been running after some guy or some gal or some pursuit of life just trying to be worthy and just trying to feel good enough. And God's going like, man, you are my kid. That's enough. Like I chose you. I love you. Like when I hear your voice, I get excited. Oh, man. Like what does God think of you? He goes, I sacrificed everything for you. And I wish you could just see yourself from my eyes. Because you would live with such confidence if you could see yourself the way God sees you. You would never doubt your worth if you could see yourself the way God sees you. Like you would walk into the room and, and you just go like, no, 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 I'm love. So I don't have to somehow try to get love from you and manipulate it and somehow figure out if I'm worthy here. I'm love so I can give love because I see myself the way God sees me. I'm valued, I'm chosen, I'm adopted, I'm his kid. So I have like, I have a teenager and one knocking on the door. It's fascinating watching teenagers and I remember going through this myself and 
That, that season is so trying to figure out who you are, right? And your identity and you're kind of figuring, separating from your parents and being your own person. And then you have all these things that just bombard you. Like, like, like whether it's social media or friends or like I'm not part of that group or if I wear this, then I'm... And all those things are saying, this is who you are. And, and if you do this, you'll be good enough and you'll be loved. And I just wish, and I hope, and I want to pass on to my kids, I just wish my kids could see themselves the way we see them. Because, like, we know them. Like, they're trying to figure themselves out, and we're like, we already know you. We made you. Hello, mom, dad. We were a part of this, and you're a part of us, and you're a reflection of us, and we actually already know you. We know your personality. We know your strengths. We know your giftedness. And if you could just see yourself the way we see you, wow, the world would open up, and you'd stop trying, and you'd be so... If you could just see yourself the way your heavenly Father sees you, that you're the object of his affection. That you really are gifted. You really are fearfully and wonderfully made. <laughs> he really does have a plan for your life. In Luke's version, as he unpacks this, the how much more of God. And Matthew says, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask in Luke's version, he makes it specific, and he says this, How much more will your heavenly Father give the Spirit to those who ask? The Apostle Paul unpacks that idea for us. He says, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Meaning, you need to have the Spirit of God inside you to be His kid. The picture is God has done everything to adopt you. He wants you, he wants to bestow all of heaven's blessings on you. He wants you to be a part of the family. He's drawn up the papers. He said, man, I want you, and I've, I've done the payment, and the payment is on the cross, and it is finished, and our response is to him to say, I want to be part of the family of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves, so that you will live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought you about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Let me ask you, does the spirit testify for you that you are his kid? If not, cry out, knock, seek, and respond. He says, I will give you the Spirit, and today you enter into the family of God. You are adopted. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Like, like all of the spiritual blessing of heaven is at our disposal and ours because we are His What comes into our mind when we think about God. Like for some, that picture for you this morning is where you go, okay, I, I've had an errant picture and today I, I truly, Heavenly Father, you are my perfect, good, Heavenly Father and I'm going to run to you right now in this moment and I need you. 
for others, it's what God thinks of us. And that's what's kept you away. Let's just be honest. You just thought he didn't want you or he was down on you. He was looking like, he's like, how could you? And today, you hear, you know, like he says, no, 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 no. I'm not down on you. I delight in you. Come. Stop hiding. Come to me. Seek me. And for others, man, today is the day where you step into the family of God. Where you go, today, like, I want to ask Jesus to come and give me a new life that the Spirit of God would come inside me and seal me. Like, that sounds kind of weird, but it's amazing. Like, God's Spirit comes inside you. He brings about new life, and you are now a child of God with the full blessing and favor of your Heavenly Father. And it's a simple confession. Heavenly Father, today I want you. Would you come and make me new? I believe you've already drawn up the adoption papers. You've already paid the price with your son on the cross. And today, would you come in and make me new? I want to be part of the family. And the promise is today is your day. Would you step in to the family of God? I want to invite you to stand. And we're going to sing, Good, Good Father, And for some, you're going to sing it for the first time. Yes, he is my father. And for some, you're going to sing it in a way where it's like, yeah, okay. No, no, no. You're my good father. You're not like my earthly father. You're my perfect heavenly father. May may this be your declaration and your praise.